Welcome to episode one. My name is Sol, and today I'm very pleased to be joined with Joanne Fry, a social activist and a mother who her son is currently incarcerated in a federal prison. Welcome, Joanne, and thanks for joining us today. Hi, good morning, and thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, could you please introduce yourself and share your personal journey with the Canadian legal and prison system with us? Well, that would take all day. It's a very long, convoluted story. But generally speaking, um, my youngest son, uh got involved in the system as a teenager like many do um once you get involved there in youth detention which is a whole nother day's discussion you generally end up in federal prison uh, in fact youth detention is where most of our gangs the ones you read about the news every day meet each other they call it con college or gladiator school so he did end up in the federal system in 2006 and i've been involved in the twilight zone in the battle ever since i see um as a parent what do you see went wrong with your son um, that he ended up behind bars? Um, do you believe that the system failed you and your son? Oh, absolutely. Um, again, you know, a book could be written on the topic, but our circumstance from the outside looks quite unique. Uh, from the outside, you know, we were a very successful family living in a very wealthy neighborhood, white, um, upper class. But in fact, below that facade, um, our system is, our, our circumstance is very, very common. My son suffered uh, childhood sexual abuse starting from the age of five. Of course, I didn't know about it until much later, but it is the case. And um, he, I believe that was the beginning of his journey. I believe that um, that encouraged or maybe initiated a lot of the upcoming mental health issues. Um, in the system, as a matter of fact, most people who are incarcerated uh, especially in the male system, are sexual abuse survivors. They've lived in pretty horrific circumstances, substance abuse, battery, on and on and on. When my son, uh, he had been a honorable student, I think till grade nine even, um, a star athlete, had a, what looked like a very rosy future, and he started really acting out. Yes, there were, in retrospect, there were probably red flags that weren't picked up prior. But by all accounts, looking at him from the outside, he looked like, you know, a guy with a bright future. As he started acting out increasingly, um, 
I, as an activist person in general and an activist parent, had him in counseling to various therapies to all the, you know, uh, government mental health facilities. I was taking him here, there, and everywhere. And interestingly, he did go willingly. Um, having said that, I often think about a particular time with Burnaby Mental Health and this psycho psychologist, I believe, um, you know, started talking and saying, you know, about him. And he, he looked different. He wasn't caring for himself. He was angry, sullen, you know, quitting school, on and on and on. And he uh, told me, you know, there was various issues and he should take some medication. And my son, who at the time was sitting there, said, I'm not taking any drugs. And I said, look, if this is going to help solve the problem, or at least part of the problem, he'll take those drugs. But legally yes. speaking, even though he was a minor and yes. I was sitting right there, they would not do so. They wouldn't let me take the drugs and then deal with it as a family or encourage him or talk him into him or bribe him or whatever the case would be. The law is that even as, although he's a minor, if he says no, the answer is no. Which is a whole different discussion in of itself. Um, because somebody who's in that kind of state has already proven that their judgment and their capacity is limited at best, but he was able to make that decision. Uh, over much dialogue over the years, my son tells me he doesn't think that even if he would have taken those drugs, it would have been enough, but we'll never know. The fact is, um, he said no, and that was the end of it. And actually he went through a series of um, counselors, therapists, people at school, uh, because he was such a big deal athlete, you know, his coaches were all concerned and trying to help. In fact, this is not the case um, that everyone just sat by or he didn't have people there to love and support him. Sadly, he did. I but see. his circumstances did not allow him to take advantage of what was being offered to him. So, um, did the system fail us? It sure did. By the time he got into YDC, youth detention, which I mentioned a minute ago, um, the fact is, you know, you can be a angry kind of kid and there you meet up with gladiator school. It's in knowing what I know now, I would have again done things a whole lot differently. But at the time, uh, I naively believed that once this minor got into virtually care of, you know, my province, they would be helping him, giving him therapy, you know, doing whatever was necessary in a more mandated situation. Yes. Little did I know that was the farthest from the truth. Um, staff member, I could again give hours of detail, but staff members there would encourage fighting, but bet on fighting. You met now hardcore folks who helped you along. That's why it's called Pawn College, who helped you along to be a real good bad guy. In that case, um, the system worked. So he ended up in 2006 um, in federal prison. And again, I wasn't quite as naive or foolish or gullible as I was before, but I still had a belief within my 
knowledge and my heart, I guess my soul, that that at this point there would be help. I was wrong. Yes. yes. Um, this is quite difficult to take. Um, so what is, what is your advice to the family members who have a loved one in prison? That's an excellent question. Thank you for asking that. Um, because I have been an activist, political and community my whole life. Yeah. Um, once we got, uh, the pretense and the silly ideas out of my head, I have taken this like a dog with a bone. So it's what I do full-time plus unpaid, um, for most of my life now. It's now, uh, one of my journeys. And consequently, I've uh, founded a family association. I take dozens or sometimes more of calls. We are activists and trying to reform the prison system. And what I tell all the parents that call me hysterical, screaming, contemplating suicide sometimes, yes. is get yourself some help. Just like everybody else, including your children, If you're not in a reasonably healthy place, you can't help anybody else. So get okay. yourself some help. Um, personally, I undoubtedly still would, I wouldn't be here if I would not have been in long-term therapy to deal with the shame and the guilt and the anger and the, you know, and all those other associated issues. So get yourself some help. Um, and if you go to one therapist and don't feel they've assisted you, find another one. Um, it, now, at least since I founded the group, you, uh, a parent does have someone to reach out to. They have someone to talk to. Take advantage of it. I know it's hard. We're all beaten down, afraid, suspicious, um, with, with good reason. So it's hard to reach out and um, show your vulnerabilities, tell your truths. But what you'll find is um, when things get to this kind of a tornado, uh, often your own personal family doesn't back you. Mine certainly didn't. They all told me to cut them loose and you know let them go. Um, your friends don't understand you. Uh, they will listen, they will hug you and love you and they, and, you know, they want the best, but they don't know what to do. Eventually you start feeling that you don't want to be phoning that same friend, the best one who listens, you know, night after night after night, it's a bit overwhelming. They've got a life. So go to somewhere where they understand where the judgment, um, is is lesser where they will just love you and hug you and cry with you. And then maybe when you're cried out, they may have a tip or two, you know, they may be able to tell you of different organizations because there are lots of us out there. There's so many groups and advocacy groups and people who actually do give a damn. But when you're going through something so traumatic, I never felt so alone in my life. And if you are falling apart, if you're considering suicide, 
if you're drinking or maybe abusing other drugs, um, you cannot help your loved one. Sadly, um, very few inmates have outside resources such as close family. In my son's institution, which is somewhere is around 300 people, well, there's a minimum and a medium, but he's in the medium for now, and there's about 300 men. There's about, oh, I'd say a dozen of, fa- of inmates who have family, who are, you know, visit, who, you know, try to help out. There are certainly some families um, who will have occasional phone calls. There's certainly also the odd family that will come and visit once a year. And that's a whole discussion in of itself, because, you know, you see that you know, we all kind of know each other. So, you know, everybody knows who I am, and well, especially me now that I've become so vocal. But, um, you know, if you go in for a visit, which we haven't had in a year and a half, by the way, but if you go in for a visit, you know, you spot someone who's new and you can tell um, by their demeanor, um, by their emotional state or whatever, that they're a newbie. The rest of us who have been around a long time, um, I don't socialize with the folks there for a whole bunch of reasons, another chapter of the book to discuss, but um, we all will be uh, polite, reasonably supportive and kind to each other. I just said to CSC um, last week that if the people who ran these bloody places were half as kind and graceful as a lot of the family members, it would be an entirely different world that we encompass. So that's a start. But in any case, um, if somebody wants more information, it's a big step to step out and put out your hand. And, I, and all of us understand that. So if you're feeling traumatized and alone and desperate, trust me, that understanding from someone else who has been there can at least help you on the road to feeling a bit more healthy yourself. I hope that, that I could go on at great length about it, but I hope that you know briefly touches what, what you were asking me about. Thank you very much, Joanne. I go to the next question. Why people do not care enough about prisoners and how we can encourage the public and the taxpayers to have more compassion for those um, individuals that are incarcerated? Well, another spectacular question. That's the million dollar question. That is the million dollar question. Um, When I'm lecturing, um, it's one of the things I try to touch on uh, consistently. And it's one of those ones that um, upsets and frustrates me probably the most. But I try to put it into perspective. Uh, As a society, you know, we deny and deflect and avoid crucial cultural issues. 
um, whether it be the homeless, the drug addiction, the mental health problems. Gosh, today is going to be 36. We could talk about climate change, um, COVID, uh, you know, we could go on and on. And these are things that affect us and we see every day. That's right. the entire prison situation is absolutely uh, invisible. Unless you have been unfortunate enough to join our club, and I hope none of you ever do, um, most of us don't think about it. You may think about it when you see something on the news or you hear a crime story. And normally speaking, a human's initial reaction is, ah, those SOBs, you did the crime, do the time, you know, and there's all of that. So it's a real conundrum. Um, People often with the strongest opinions and the toughest statements are often, unfortunately, the most ignorant. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, They just come back with that emotional reaction. Uh, What's really scary about that, though, and upsetting to us in the know, is, you know, there's been books on this, documentaries on this, um, you know, exposés on the Fifth Estate, W5. Uh, You know, really, if you happen to, nothing else, you know, if you say, well, gee, why do I care? You know, pick up um, the annual report of the Office of the Correctional Investigators. You can Google it. It comes out every year. Um, The current, uh, um, it's the ombudsman for the federal prison system. So they're absolutely independent. Their job is to go in and look at what's happening and tell you the status. So, you know, if if nothing else, pick up and, and look at that. I got to tell you, don't do it late at night. It's not pleasant reading. When you start looking at what's been going on in our country, particularly in our side of the world, it is so devastating, so self-destructive, counterintuitive, that it's hard to understand how we can still be there, considering that many other countries, particularly the European countries, have gone the entire different direction. Um, here, again, because it's invisible, because the politicians aren't going to get a whole lot of votes by reforming the system, um, you know, and it will stay the same. Some of the experts who are much more knowledgeable than me will, will tell you that it is so entrenched that even people who have worked in it for 30 and 40 and 50 years say, I don't know if it will ever change. And if so, what will be the catalyst to bring forward that change? Um, so it, it's, a, it's a scary kind of concept. I do tell people though, um, just recently I wrote something for a paper and the blowback was astounding. Um, you know, the comments. And again, for a family member, it's pretty hard to hear some of this stuff. But one of the things that I've lately been trying to address is, you know, when is something okay to you? Like, you know, if we see CSC, which is corrupt, incompetent, spending billions of your taxpayers' dollars a year, 75% of which goes to staffing costs, 
when almost every single thing they do turns out to be a negative with a negative result um you know when we see again just yesterday was more media this has been a real bad time for media for CSE um you know they listen in on your phone conversations that are privileged by law like with your legal representation and so forth um you know they will invade your i mean all the rules the laws the human rights are thrown out the window so the question is um when is that okay would it be okay if they were doing it to you or i of course not you know would it be okay if it was to a senior would it be okay if it was to a homeless drug addict you know when is it okay real human rights as people again much more knowledgeable than me will tell you is not that we are allowed to do it to these guys because they're kind of the bad guy you know like it's okay if a cop beats up a cross street prostitute i mean she's a prostitute like the, the to have a functioning democratic progressive society the rules have to be for everybody and sometimes we see you know again in the media one of those real big bad gangster guys and you know um there was some legal thing that the cops or the system did wrong and they get off and everyone just goes crazy and we could debate that that issue but the facts of the matter is when you find out who you are and what your values are where your morals stand how you believe you know your world view is not when it happens to you know a movie star it's when it happens to a nobody That's and if right. you look around the world other cultures have decided that to be the case we're just so far behind good lord even the united states now has been putting through you no know, more proactive issues um you know you look at it long term but to look at these complicated social issues that have been dogging us forever like the long list i gave you earlier um you know we we have the information out there if you don't have the time the interest just the basic humanity to you know waste half an hour or something of your life reading maybe turn off the tv or your social media anyhow um, if you don't have that We have all the other issues coming in from the side to fight us, which is why we're in such a crisis position right now. We have constant misinformation. We have, you know, zero accountability. And you know, it goes on and on. Recently when I was um giving a short lecture to a group that I was surprised to be invited to speak at, um one of the fellows got really angry at me when I was talking about you know when is it okay like is it okay for your government to lie to you to put out propaganda to say we're doing this but they're not doing it and this one gentleman got very agitated with me and he said you know i don't know what his dog of a fight is but he seemed to know a little bit because he said to me well i went on their site and on their site it was saying you know And it, it, I actually he said I'm waiting for you to respond and I had to really stop and think because I will tell you right now 
there are many of the pol the policies that are on the CSC site. You can Google CSC and it will go right to it. And you, I've spent probably hundreds of hours reading policy and amendment. Um, some of the actual policies sound like they make sense. Some of them, if you don't know enough about the issue, about the specific issue, might even make more sense. The problem is, of course, these policies are not followed. Um, there is no accountability when they're not followed. You know, you get something from CSC and my hair gets ready to fall out because it always says, we continue to do whatever it is. And that's the problem. <laughs> you know, stop continuing to do what you did 50 years ago that didn't work then and sure as hell isn't working now. So it's a, it's a huge big issue. Um, and again, you know, I, I know this sounds awfully negative, but you know, to me, I cannot see a forward moving path unless people start to know the truth. And my way of getting the truth out is doing talks like this. And I appreciate the opportunity or going to speak to people. I'll go anywhere to any size of group for no money to come and talk to you. You can ask me any question you want to ask. Unfortunately, um, I don't know everything, but if I don't know some specific point, I will tell you so, and I'll tell you, I'll find out, get back to you. But the way things are going now, um, there's a lot of reason to be outraged. I have a sign on my fridge, you know, if you're not outraged, you ain't paying attention. And again, you know, people much wiser than me over history have said, uh, you know, when it's not you, you say, ah, don't worry until it's you. I thought the opioid crisis that we've been going through um, would have made, would have had more impact say, than it has. Nowadays, I talk to a lot of families who, you know, these their children weren't druggies. You know, they got hurt at work. They were prescribed all this medication. The doctor said no more. And the person, you know, my other son, for example, lives with chronic pain. And I think about it every day. You know, so until it's you, unfortunately, a lot of us just want to puddle along. And it is destabilizing. It's terrifying, actually, as you start to pull off your rose-colored glasses and see the world. So you can either stay at home and be depressed and, you know, be angry and yap about it when you're having a beer with other people. Or you could try to get a bit of information and start trying to be at least a bit of part of the solution. That's so I right. hope that helps you. Also, in regards to another thing you said about taxpayers, um, the last while I've been really on to that as a potential avenue to get the average Joe who really just doesn't care a bit more motivated. And that's another question. When is it going to be enough for you? You know, across our country, you know, we're spending tens of billions of dollars, not just on CSC in specific, but on the justice system overall. Just like we used to spend all this money on the drug war, you know? And we're spending this money, it's used at best inefficiently and ineffectively. 
um, is not being directed to any of the angles where it would actually make sense. We've got, you know, in my son's institution, uh, some 300 mostly antisocial, angry, bitter, uh, drug addicted, uh, mentally ill people, you know, locked in these cages with nothing to do. I just recently wrote a really, I think, an interesting article on that topic with nothing to do, no jobs, very little positive reinforcement in any way. And they're babysat at a ridiculous cost to us by a whole bunch of guards who have a grade 12 education and step into this job. I also want to say, first of all, I, in my many years, I have developed some good rep, uh, relationships with some of the guards. Not so much with most of the management, but with some of the guards. And some of these people are potentially good, honest, decent people that just wanted to get this great government job with every benefit known to man and they didn't have much education. So I'm not saying every guard is horrible, but I would refer you to, um, you know, the Lucifer effect, the Stanford experiment. When you give people who are, are in that demographic, we'll just say, all of this power and all of this authority and you add into that the blue wall which we typically think of with the police department and no accountability and they believe that us versus them the lousy like it's a it's a disaster in the making so even occasionally you know we do occasionally you'll see in the paper there could be insider information from some guards some guards literally are almost crying when they're talking to me i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i wish i could do something but if you start out as one of those folks who's a good guy and you really maybe do you know maybe you're an idealist like i am and you want to help the system you run into all yourself all of these roadblocks that make it almost impossible for you to continue doing that job, doing that job in the way you'd like to do it. If you are too sympathetic, you get very quickly labeled as a con lover, which in that world, you can't get much worse. You will be ostracized. You will be, I mean, by your own coworkers. I mean, it's a horrible thing. So, you know, if you're sympathetic and kind or even just decent on an ongoing basis. Um, in our institution, for example, we had a couple guards who were decent human beings and um, they got labeled that and eventually both of them had to leave. I don't know if they were actually fired or asked to leave, but regardless. Um, so, you know, it, it's a complex issue. And again, humans don't necessarily do that well with complexities. And if you can just kind of keep it away from yourself, I think, you know, most people do. God knows I never in a million years thought I would be in this position and be talking on this issue. And here I am. So I hope that covered a little bit. I, I'm sorry if I was too lengthy. No, no, thank you very much, Joanne. Um, prison reform I mean to you well it would mean 
um, everything. It would mean changing my life, changing the 15 to 18,000 the lives of the 15 to 18,000 uh, men just in our federal system. It would mean that our t we would actually be doing something moving forward. It would mean that somebody would be looking at the current problems and saying, okay, taking out all the political BS and all the special interest craziness, um, what should we do? Interestingly, this is not going to require a whole lot of brain power on our part because we already have really good examples that we could just, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to go and look at some of these other countries and say, wow, all of the studies. We do studies after studies after studies in this country. We have reports from the OCIs and we all know but we just don't move on it. So what we would do is we would look at one of the other countries where the recidivism is lower, where the crime is lower, where the cost, just very much, I tell people very much like, you know, if you look at the medical system of the United States, you know, they spend some three times what we do and we see what the problems are. Well, very similarly, we're spending way more. Um, Dr. Howard Zinger, who is currently uh, the ombudsman for feds, you know, he talks about it all the time in every single report you'll read it. Considering the amount of money we're throwing at this issue, our results should be entirely different than they are. And they aren't. So, you know, we should be asking these kinds of questions. I can't remember the last time at a news conference of the Prime Minister, God help us, Bill Blair, the Minister of Public Safety, or Ralph Goodall before him. I can't remember the last time that, the, that there was, you know, good pointed questions and then intelligent responses back. It, there aren't. It's just propaganda to shut you up. It's this massive bureaucracy. As a matter of fact, I just recently read, you know, the, the amount of staffing and dollars that go into this are bigger than our departments of this and departments of that all combined. So it, it's not a money issue. If you're putting 75% of your budget to staffing, it means really, you know, the actual amount of money going to try to haha rehabilitate inmates is a joke and you know so what what is it is it a make work project is it a job security thing like when you're involved in the system you know there's such a lack of uh logic common sense and you know again i'm not a heart surgeon but i can look at a couple of these studies and figure it out we have recommendation after recommendation um you know we have substandard medical care in there as our population is aging, which we knew it would be, we're having our costs go up substantially to give them lousy healthcare. Uh, there's, you know, absolutely no effort to deal with the core reasons why they went in there. So, you know, there's not mental health care, trauma counseling, just so somebody who listens to this doesn't jump on and think, I caught her. Of course, they have uh, programming. Programming are done in group settings. 
um, which again is laughable. I don't know about you, Saul, but I don't want to be in a huge group of people and tell them my innermost secrets and all the bad things I've done. Then you factor in this being in a prison in a tough guy world. No, you know, so the inmates learn to manipulate it. So it's a joke. So when someone occasionally will call me on that and say, well, wait a minute, they've got programmed. For all intents and and, and really programming almost makes things worse because it teaches them, okay, tell them what they want to know. It means the ones who are more sociopathic and better liars tend to get parole with the people who are more honest don't. And I mean, it's just snowballs, snowballs, snowballs. Um, as I said, when someone says to me, you know, is there anything good in there? I have to stop and think. Because take any specific issue. My son, in particular, as I said to you, is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And I don't know if you are particularly familiar with that issue, but that's a whole day's discussion in of itself. Um, there is no counseling for that within the prisons. There is no trauma counseling, and most of them have it. So, you know, they say that they deal with your mental health after what's called your index offense, which means the issue that got you there. So say you went and robbed a bank, they deal with what happened from the bank onward. So, you know, anybody who has even the smallest bit of common sense will see how that's just ridiculous. We have been... Uh, currently, we've got a case going in front of the Human Rights Tribunal of Canada in regards to this. Um, and I bet you dollars to donuts that the, tri the tribunal is going to be horrified, which leads to another huge chapter of the book and the discussion, because again and again and again, we get in front of a federal judge, the Supreme Court, the Human Rights Tribunal, in almost every single case, they are outraged and angry and demand CSC stop. And they often will give a mechanism for babysitting of it, you know, so there'd be some accountability. And at every single angle, CSC continues on and does what they want to do regardless. So I guess this goes all the way back to a question, you know, I put forward to you a few minutes ago. At what point are you okay with your government doing this kind of activity, regardless of who they're doing it to? Regardless. Regardless of what you think of the inmates, what got them there. Also keep in mind, in the federal situation, you only have to get two years. You can get two years for drunk driving, not that I'm minimizing that. I'm just saying, like, all these men are not axe murderers. That's a very small percentage. Also keep in mind that even the axe murderers are going to get up. There's a minuscule number of people who never get out. So they're going to get out. They went in dysfunctional, bitter, rageful, entitled. I don't know, throw all those adjectives around. And every single study, including some of our major politicians, many, many, many news articles and magazine articles will tell you nothing good happens in there. Mostly you come out worse. So they're going to get out. And when they do, 
I hope it's not you that one of those fellas runs into on the street or your daughter or your mother or your grandma or your son or father in either case. So again, for me, it's not even about, I mean, it's very personal, obviously. It's my baby, one of the loves of my life. I'm very, very close to him. He's become a wonderful human being, not because of CSC, but in spite of CSC. So, you know, but I, I think overall as a culture, we need to all look at ourselves in the mirror. We need to hold our politicians accountable. We need to demand change. Um, we need to, you know, maybe educate ourselves a little wee bit. Or if you just can't be bothered, at least don't have a big opinion. Don't have a big tough opinion and whatever. Because I hope karma never comes back to bite you in the butt. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Joanne. Um, any final words you would like to share? Well, as you can tell, I have never a shortage of words on the topic. So I could probably take up the rest of your day. But um, I hope that there's something, one little thing that I said that maybe makes you just open your mind a little bit. You don't have to like me or like my son or care about us as human beings. Apparently, that's a lot of the way of the world these days. But even for your own self-interest, governments in a democracy, um, you know, at one point they used to be leaders and they would take charge. Those days are mostly gone. And, you know, now they lead by opinion and by polls and whatever. So if this, if this particular issue just doesn't ring for you you know pick one of the many others that i i mentioned earlier you know get a bit of it, a bit of knowledge and information so you can really speak a little bit clearly and you know send some emails to your politicians otherwise don't complain how bad things are going because our politicians can only do what we force them to do that like it or not that is the current reality on top of which i had hoped that covid would have possibly taught us um a little bit about it but turning out that may or may not be the case but a little kindness and compassion a little empathy for other human beings who maybe weren't as fortunate as you can go a long way I, as I said, it's always been my bag, but you know, I'm 63 now, just had a birthday. And I tell people, you know, when I look back at some of the things I did when I was younger, it's lucky I'm still standing here. And if there's maybe some of you that are so perfect that never screwed up when you were younger, because that's when you end up going to jail. You don't usually go to jail your first time when you're 40. These are usually young people. And we, our science tells us that as your brain develops, you tend to be, you know, less of a risk taker on and on. So, you know, if I tell everybody, like, if you don't know anyone with a mental health problem, if you don't know anybody with a substance abuse problem, I'm mostly thinking you're probably a liar. But if you actually think you don't, I hope you stay in that cherry land forever. 
because it just, for most of us, you suddenly wake up one day and everything you believed in, everything that gave you security in your world is ripped away from you. I wouldn't wish my experience on my worst enemy, although I don't have many, but I really wouldn't. It's something that the pain is there every single day, every single day. And even for the family members who don't have relationships with their prisoner loved one, it's funny because you can only run so far. A lot of them will tell me they move. You know, I, I move neighborhoods too. Um, you know, they move, they change their jobs. They don't tell anybody. Uh, no one at work knows that my son or my husband or whatever is in a prison. It, it's such a inauthentic um, way to live. And while I respect people's decisions and their privacies, I tell everybody, you know, unless you start telling your truth, it makes it easier for everybody else to say it's not me. It'll never affect me. And when you come out and start telling people, this is my story, I have to believe that the better angel side of most people will take a deep breath and say, wow, if it could happen to her. And maybe look at your own children. One of my good friends who I love her like crazy, but she didn't have a whole lot of personal experience. Until the beginning of COVID, she got a phone call and her one and only child was, you know, in a psychiatric ward and, you know, and then all of a sudden, and it, it's not that it's too late then, but I think about how many lives we would save, how much more love we'd all share, how differently we'd all feel about ourselves and our community if we didn't have to wait for it to come for you. That's right. That's right, John. John, thank you very much for joining us today and answering these questions. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. And anything anybody needs to talk, most of you can find out how to get me or if you just need a, a, a loving ear. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our conversation today. Please join us again and take care.